Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. It's the gigs before the theme song part. Los Angeles, you can see me this Thursday night at the Hollywood Improv Lab. I am in conversation. I am having real talk with actress and Gen X icon, Ioni Sky. You're a fucking idiot if you don't come to this. You don't want to come see me talk to Diane Court from Say Anything? I guess you don't want to live in 2020. We're at the Hollywood Improv Lab. That is Thursday, January 9th at 8 p.m. Tickets at jenkirkman.com. Click tour or just show up at the door. We'll get you in. And San Diego. Oh, my God, it's selling really well. Uh, I think you'll be okay if you wait to get tickets at the door. But if you want to be super safe, jenkirkman.com, right there on the homepage, or click tour. San Diego, one night only, one show only at the American Comedy Company, January 12th. That is Sunday, January 12th, 7 p.m. You'll be home by 9 in bed. Well, I don't know where you live, maybe 9.30. But uh, the show and everything will be done by 8.30. And after, I'm selling and signing copies of my book. So that's going to be great. Please do come to that. And just went on sale. Phoenix, I'm back. I'm at CB Live Saturday, March 28th, a nice 7 p.m. show. Don't you love that? And then things are, oh, New York City is actually on sale. It's been on sale a while. May 5th, uh, nope, May 7th through 9th at Caroline's on Broadway. I'm doing five shows. Oh, I love me, the Caroline's Comedy Club, one of my favorite clubs in that city. So please come on down to that. That will be my only New York appearance this year. So do not wait or do not not wait. JenKirkman.com, click tour and or on the homepage. And cities that are coming that are not on sale yet are Spokane, Washington, Dallas, Texas, Winnipeg in up in there in Canada, Buffalo, New York, Bloomington, Indiana. And so the way you can get tickets before anyone else is to join my newsletter. Go to jenkirkman.com and click where it says Kirkmail. Enjoy the episode! Fun with 
Kirkland, Kirkland. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Spokane. I know it's Spokane, but I always say, I mean Spokane. See, I can't. It's like con, can in France. I know one is correct. The correct one is can, although you would think it's con because it's French. Um, and I guess in my head, I think it's like Spokane because I used to know a girl from Spokane, Washington. And that's how I interpret her voice in my head. It's Spokane. Spokane. Spokane, Washington. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say it wrong like Every time I think so, my blanket apologies. I, that one will never ever come correct, as they say in my brain. Anyway, oh my God, Jen Kirkman's podcast here, having funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode three seventeen, the first episode of the new year, the first episode of the new decade. Did you miss me when I was gone? Take it in, take it in how it felt to have no podcast, and just remember that. Kids, if you misbehave, I'll take the podcast away. No, I just really had no time, and I could not get anything done before the holidays, which is when I would have had to record, and I just I just couldn't do it. Being sick really effed me up the A. So what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I'm going to catch up on my uh, Christmas stories. I found out that my mom played one-on-one basketball once with JoJo White. I'm going to talk about... Um, Brian May on Twitter talking about some good old-fashioned codependency. I may talk about that. If, if In case you hear me say stuff and I don't get to it, I'll get to it next week. The Pope smackdown. Oh, my God. He smacked a bitch on the hands. Hallmark Channel controversy with the two lesbians in the commercial. It is over. I will talk about and I will do an in-depth analysis of, of Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes so that we can finally teach people once and for all there is no binary here. There doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be you're a corporate warmonger who doesn't get him and you're a snowflake and it doesn't have to be you're edgy and out of control. You are neither. I will tell you why. And I'm going to talk about why comedy is getting better and the lovely experience I had in Sacramento and a listener needs advice and I'm going to let I'm going to give some advice. All right. Great. Let's begin. Let's begin. So, yeah, catch up on Christmas. I mean, it all seems so long ago. You know, last night I got I was going to keep up my decorations for a while, not because I was in the Christmas spirit, but because I just don't feel like taking them down. And I always forget it takes me less time to take them down because when I put them up, it's like got to figure out where everything goes. Do I really want that there this year? It's it's way quicker to take them down. And uh, I did. I just was sitting there and I went, I'm sick of the Christmas tree. I mean, I love it, but it just, I, I just felt it was time. I felt there was too much clutter. So I just, I just went at it, took everything down. I left up like golden white, like my sequined pillows and some like white furry blankets on the couch. You know, just like a little winter wonderland throw pillow sitch. You know, it's still winter. Um... And then I'll, I'll move that stuff in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, I just couldn't take it anymore. But I thought I was going to keep it up for a while because I'm I'm away on road gigs like I was last weekend and I am this weekend. And that's usually when I would do things because I'm working a full-time writing job right now. But, you know, I just I just did it last night. I don't really have more of a story to that. So that's why I keep just going, yeah, you know. Anyway, Christmas. What did I do? Well, I was very paranoid about my immune system the whole time. I was probably a buzzkill. Um, couldn't get any writing done. I just felt, I don't know. I just wasn't, I just i just felt, ugh. I wanted to do nothing. And 
I brought home my, I probably shouldn't say, the WJ is going to come after me, woo, and the SAG after Guild. But we get those screeners, you know, the, the DVDs of the movies that are not in theaters yet or are in theaters but aren't out on DVD yet. And uh, brought them home and we watched, uh, I watched Jojo Rabbit with my mom. I really enjoyed that. And I'm not like America's biggest Scarlett Johansson fan. I don't dislike her or think she's untalented. I just don't care. I really liked her in um, the first movie I ever saw her in with Bill Murray, Lost in Translation. And since then, I'm just like, are you? good acting because I am going to be a little judgmental there's been some roles she's done where I'm like I think this is I must not be understanding something I think this is like blatantly bad acting to where I'm looking around going is anyone else seeing this like I don't think this is good but maybe it's because it's those superhero movies and really can you get a feel for anything and I know that she's actor studio trained and Stanislavskied up and so I don't know maybe it doesn't translate when she has to kind of do more of a superhero thing. But I loved her in Jojo Rabbit. Now, I haven't seen Marriage Story, and I'm not going to because I've been divorced, and I don't need to relive any of that. I don't need to relive the worst parts of marriage and or divorce. I don't know if that movie ends up in divorce. I don't care. And people can go, no, but this, I don't like to watch things about relationships being upsetting. It's not my jam. Um, I just started being able to watch romantic comedies again, after like a two-year hiatus. So like, please don't tell me that like, no, you'll love it. I won't. Um, But I loved her in Jojo Rabbit. I thought she was so funny. And then this is where my sexism comes in, where I go, well, I wonder if she's funnier because she's dating Colin Jones from SNL or they're engaged. And then I went, well, she can't be funny on her own. And I went, no, actually, because I don't know her as funny before that. And she seemed to have really honed the comedic timing in this. And I wonder if they have a good comedic timing together. It's not because of him. But you know what I mean? You're influenced by things. Listen, I don't know. I'm just saying maybe he's her Yoko. You know what I mean? Like John's like peace and love, but he got that from Yoko. Maybe Scarlett gets a little humor from him. Although I'm not like, oh my God, he's Earth's funniest person. Like I can't believe I'm saying anyone gets humor from him. Um, I don't have anything bad to say about him, but you know what I mean? It's not like he's Robin Williams. Like someone who's outwardly always like prat falling and being like, you know, I'm just getting myself. I'm just stepping in shit right now. I'm just going to stop talking. But then on on Christmas, um, we sat down as a family and watched Uncut Gems. Well, my dad didn't. He wasn't interested. Uh, my two sisters, my mom and I did. One of my sisters was like, this isn't Christmassy enough. Like, it's such a bummer. And my other sister was like, I'm anxious, but no, don't turn it off. And my mom was like, this is outrageous. And now it's the Adam Sandler movie where he's the gambling addict and the diamond dealer and I didn't realize how much of the movie was gonna be like fuck 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 it was too much for me I was like does anyone say anything except fuck and the n-word like this is too much for me I'm so stressed out and it was just a lot of yelling and you know to be honest my family's never been so quiet so I think the key if you normally have a chaotic yelling family Put on a chaotic yelling movie and everyone will be disturbed and they'll be quiet and then maybe they'll learn something. (laughs) But my I so what would I have done without Google? Now, I didn't know the the directors that made this movie. I don't even remember their names anymore. I don't need to for the story. But I Googled um, who directed this movie and then it led me to some articles. I guess these directors are known for their anxiety 
producing films where the whole time you're watching it, your heart race is going up. You feel like you're going to have an anxiety attack. And that's my mom and sister were really enjoying that part of it. I wasn't actually. Um, So I just had my computer and was returning emails. And I was just interested to see Adam Sandler do a more serious role, but not sentimental serious like The Wedding Singer, you know, some. And I think he did really well with being this, you know, fucked up, aggro, anxious guy. I mean, you think he was great. You know, if I didn't know who he was and just turned on the movie, I wouldn't say, is this guy like not really an actor? Is this a comedian or something? He was great. I mean, he is really more of an actor these days, right? Um, He's been doing movies for decades. So obviously you start to get a feel for it. But I I wouldn't have thought, oh, this guy started out as a stand-up. So it was great. But again, I'm probably not going to go revisit it and be like, what what a classic for me. Glad I saw it. My mother was like, do not turn this off. And then my sister had to go do something. She teaches horseback riding and she had a lesson that day or some. No, she was feeding someone's cat. I don't know. It was Christmas. She was doing something. And she came. And we turned it off and we actually put it back on. Um, I thought we'd all have gotten sick of it, but my mother loved it. And it was like this whole subplot with one of the Boston Celtics. I already forget his name, Kevin something. And my mom was like, oh, that's Kevin whatever. And I'm like, why do you know the Celtics? I mean, they're from Boston, but I don't rem- I don't remember us ever keeping up with basketball. I went to a game once with my dad. Actually, pretty interesting game. It was um, Larry Bird was still playing. I mean, that was really kind of cool to get to see that. And then he fell backwards onto the press table. And I just remember that part because he was like had propulsion energy himself from uh, throwing a free throw. Anyway, so it wasn't a free throw. Sorry. It was like a running and toss. And then he just like his body kept flying. Um, So my mom was like, well, I played um, one-on-one basketball with Jojo White. And I was like, I don't even know who Jojo White is. I don't, I'm like, all right, after the movie, can you tell me this? We just talk throughout movies, but so after she explained to me, he was one of the Celtics and years ago at Foxwoods, she saw him in the lounge and she said he had a basketball, which is weird that like, I mean, he's an older man at this point that she ran into him. He was probably in his sixties and, you know, it's just like walking around the basketball, but she said he did have one and she was like, yeah, Joe, Joe White. And he was like, yes. And and she said, you know, I used to play basketball. I was on the girls' basketball team in high school. I'm like, I don't even remember hearing about this. And she goes, I was really good. I've always loved basketball. So he said to me, let's see what you got. And so, you know, he he bounced the ball and went all around his legs. And I he, he put out his arms like a basketball hoop. And I put it through. And he said, you're pretty good. And I'm like, why do I not know this, like, intimate knowledge she has of the, the Boston Celtics and her love of basketball? People... Talk to your parents. Ask them questions about their life. I do. It just basketball never came up before. So CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I learned an interesting uh, tidbit about my mom. And then um, 
as a family, we watched It's a Wonderful Life. Well, I watched it on Christmas Eve, and if anyone wanted to drop in with me, they did. And uh, so we, we did sit around and watch that. And I, every time, I mean, every time I start crying the first second when the uh, angel that's trying to get his wings, Clarence, is talking to Joseph, the father, which I I don't know if that's supposed to be Joseph as in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I feel like Joseph as in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph gets, like, no one knows anything about him, zero respect. He's not God. He's just the, like, stepdad to, you know, biologically speaking to Jesus. I don't understand. Anyway, but this angel is talking to Joseph, and you don't see them. You just see stars in the sky, and one star blinks, and the other star blinks, and they're, oh, George Bailey. Oh, what? Is he in trouble? Is he sick? Worse. He's discouraged. Oh, that's a really powerful thing to say about someone. And then that's when the waterworks tend to start, and then they really pick up uh, from when he decides to jump all the way to the end of the movie, and there's something just about at the end when everyone is bringing him the money. And I mean, I'm just going to I'm going to burst at that point. It's it's every single person that delivers something. I'm tearing up and tearing up and tearing up. And when, you know, the fi- by the final ending, if I haven't broken yet, I always break when he suddenly the copy of Tom Sawyer. That's the book that the angel Clarence, when he came down, had been reading and uh, George Bailey picks it up and it suddenly magically appeared in this pile of money. And it says, no man is a failure who has friends. I'm like, <laughs> burst into tears. My whole family's like, okay. Um, and then my sister said, the whole point of the movie is he wishes he was never born because Basically, he gets his um, family business into it gets into this crazy debt that isn't his fault. And the kind of Donald Trump figure that's leading the town, Mr. Potter, is going to own everything. And George is going to have to go to jail because he lost this money. And he finds out that his life insurance policy, you know, he's worth more dead than alive. And he wishes he'd never been born. And uh, so this angel takes him around to show him what the world would be like without him, that each of our lives impacts so many people that if he wasn't born, basically the whole town has gone to shit and everyone's life is shitty. And if he hadn't saved his brother's life, then his brother wouldn't have saved all these people on this World War II battle. You know, you get the point. And so my sister said, Jen, you know what's funny is nothing would be different if you weren't born. You've affected no one. (laughs) Now that's comedy. That's a fucking funny, dark thing to say that you only say to someone you really know and love very well. Like, that's just funny because of that. You know, if it were at all true or I felt that she at all really felt that way, it would not be funny. It would be like awkward time for a joke. I died laughing. And I tweeted that. And, you know, I guess you had to be there. But like when I, re- Ugh, I don't even get me started on just like how not fun Twitter is. And people were like, I don't think that's nice. I'm like, of course it's not nice. That's why it's fucking funny. But it's fucking funny because it's my sister saying it to me while I'm crying. Like, it's funny. It's a tension breaker. Oh, God damn it. Do I have to explain comedy to everyone? And I think I do. And that leads me to my thoughts on Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. Now, listen, I don't even want to talk about this. 
But it, I can tell when I need to address something, it starts boiling up inside of me and I start talking to myself. And so I really don't want to have to explain this because anything I say wrong or incorrect or I stumble or I don't get a thought out completely can and will be used against me and people will be just everybody relax, take deep breaths. In many ways, I I have expertise in comedy and comedy writing. That does go beyond the average viewer, and I'm sorry to sound like an asshole, but I do watch comedy differently than you. I just do. I understand things differently than you. I just do. I understand the personality types in comedy. I just do. Now, this is my opinion, but it is based on a lot of just intuitive things, years in the business, whatever. Uh, So lightly grip what I'm saying like it's a bar soap. Don't bear down so hard that it's the point of it all slips away. And don't take it so seriously that like that now this is your opinion. Just hear me out. We've become very binary. The only thing not binary anymore in this culture is the genders. The genders is are doing it right. There's, And I'm not saying this is like a pithy comment, like I'm a middle-aged road comic white male. There's 37 genders. Very, Everyone's into non-binary. And yet our thinking is as binary as ever. Black and white thinking is what children do because their brains are not developed yet. They cannot grasp a lot more than good or bad. We adults have to have more thinking than that. It'll even go into situations like, let's say I'm in therapy. I'll go, well, you know, they either hate me and they're working against me or everything's fine. And it's like, or 7 million other possibilities, right? So here's the deal with Ricky Gervais. And I don't think I have a lot of these types that listen to me. So it's probably falling on deaf ears. But if you do not find Ricky Gervais funny, it does not mean that you are an establishment, corporate-loving, Hollywood is perfect, Jeffrey Epstein-loving, private jet-flying, ignoramus, snowflake who needs to be taken down. That, that is not true. If you do like Ricky Gervais, it doesn't mean that you're a free-thinking always right. You're sticking it to the man. You're never offended. You're above it all. That's not true either. And those are our two choices. Oh, you didn't like what he said? Of course, you're trying to protect your corporate Hollywood. It's amazing to me that people who talk like this don't actually feel embarrassed that they look stupid. They're telling a middle-aged road comic. I mean, that's me. I'm like the scum on the bottom of Ricky Gervais's shoe. He could buy and sell me and my entire family five times over. He has so much power, so much influence. I mean, forget money for a minute. When you have had one of the most influential TV shows of all time, which was The British Office, it changed the way so many TV shows were made. That documentary style talk to the camera. I mean, just hands down, a lot of our TV shows, not just The American Office, obviously do that. I mean, he didn't invent it, of course, but he's got influence. And I I feel like people forget behind the scenes, you know, there's people 
that are influencing things in art. And they may not even be the richest people or famous themselves, but he's got it all. He's got influence. He's got money. He's got a giant fan base. So there's really nothing that anyone, like maybe, um, you know, someone above him, maybe Steven Spielberg could feel threatened by him, but, but uh, no, not threatened. Sorry, I'm getting this wrong. So when people say to me that Ricky Gervais has me shaking in my boots because I'm the establishment, you're getting it very wrong. Like I would have to be equal to or above him in some way if that's the reason I was shaking in my boots, if indeed I were, and I am not. I am a road comic who doesn't have enough savings to live for a year should should I need to only live off savings. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pretty much like every other American. I'm probably even more rich than most people who can't even live a week. But, you know, if everything went down and they had to really take stock of their assets, but I don't own a home. I do not have influence. Um, and you got, your influence to me, I'm talking real showbiz influence. They don't go get me a, get Jen Kirkman on the line. She's making hit show after hit show. Like I've not, none of my shows have gone past pilot um, script. None of this is bad, by the way. Oh my God, I'm so on the board in ways that many people are not. But I'm saying it's it's factually impossible that I'm the elite and that that's why I don't like Ricky Gervais. Like, uh, wrong. Like you have to, pick another number and or call a phone a friend um, or, you know, your turns up in the game show of of this. So let me explain to you. Ricky Gervais is perhaps the biggest disappointment of my life. Nobody loved the British office more than me. I can barely I don't even watch the American office because it's not the British office. I quote the British office 50,000 times a day with my friends. <laughs> I I laugh out loud thinking about my favorite episodes. I was listening to Ricky's podcast that he did with Carl Pilkington and Stephen, Mer- not Stephen Merchant, someone else. Back in 2004, I don't even remember how I was doing that because I don't remember how I listened to podcasts. I think like just on the desktop at work. I am one of his biggest fans. And when he started doing stand-up, or the first time I saw him do stand-up, I was like, oh. Oh. See, when you've been doing it as long as I have, when you've been around it as much as I have, there are tells, there are certain things that people who are starting out do. And it's really hard to verbalize, but it's it's anything from nervous tics to just not looking right yet, where you're leaning on the mic stand and it just doesn't look right yet. You're, you just haven't done it, the Malcolm Gladwell thing, 10,000 hours. And Ricky Gervais had not done stand-up 10,000 hours. Now, he buys a lot of good fortune because he's got a cute little British accent. We know him as David Brent. We love him. We want him to be funny. And he's, you know, probably like naturally funny to to, to quip around with, you know, his improvised stuff is great. So he can get he can get there. Like I can watch him do stand up and be like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then when it gets to like the point, the punch, it's always a little lazy. And really good improvisers can be lazy. And I'm saying that because I am one of the this 
whole podcast is improvised talking because to be quite honest, I was too lazy to do another kind of podcast. Now, my stand up is not lazy. A lot of the working out that I do is improvised. But when I give you the final product on a one hour road show or a Netflix, it is those lines have been said over and over and over and perfected to make it look conversational and like I'm just thinking of it, which bites me in the ass because I don't get a lot of respect in some ways um, from I don't even know powers that be the community. The average viewer, I've done the trick that I've wanted to do, but viewers have, to be honest, become less sophisticated. So they no longer even realize they're seeing a trick. They think they're just watching someone talk off the top of her head and it's not that impressive and whatever. So Although Jason Zinman of the New York Times did give me a great review on my first special, and he said that kind of laid-backness can only come with decades of practice and repetition. So anyway, when I first saw Ricky Gervais' stand-up, I wasn't offended or, oh, that's, that's off-limits, Ricky. I'm offended. I'm uptight. Please, I'm a fucking stand-up. You know? You think I'm uptight? You should hear the way I talk in real life that I could never say on the mic. And it's not because the establishment would come after me because it's not appropriate. I know when to bring dark and offensive humor out into the light. And I know when it's between me and my friends. I'm not two different people. You know what I'm saying? I'm not offended is my point. But I was like, oh, this seems kind of lazy. Oh, oh, he's just doing that thing where he's famous and now he can just go and sell tickets. And why wouldn't you? Oh, my God. Why wouldn't you? Do you know how much money you can make if you're playing like a 10,000 seat theater? You could make like a million dollars in a night. You'd be a fucking idiot <laughs> not to do it if you could. But at the same time, you got to be careful. So now people that, you know, don't really understand how good comedy could be because they didn't grow up with George Carlin. They didn't grow up with Richard Pryor. This is fine for them, but they're not right. They could go, oh, it's so funny. I know it's kind of lazy or whatever. I don't care. I just like his riffs. That's Then I'm like 100%. But if they're like, this is the most genius comedy and the only reason you don't like it is because he's sticking it to the man, you're literally, there is a right and wrong here and that is not true. So here's my... That is, in general, how I feel. Then his latest special or one of the specials where he's like, trans people say this, I'm just going to be a monkey. It's it's just offensive. And the thing is, he's probably a really socially liberal, conscientious guy. But for I don't know what the temptation is. It's in a lot of middle-aged white males is to push that envelope for some reason. And... There's just there's not a lot of left. There's not a lot of being in the streets left in you. And so you're not actually naturally hearing other um, voices. So like for me, I'm out there. I'm with the comics. I'm with young people. I'm with all kinds of genders and colors and nationalities and religions. And I've been that way the whole 23 years I've been in this business. And so I don't even have to say something offensive and then have someone correct me so much as it's just you learn to respect other people and you realize before you even say something like, oh, my God, that's not even that cool. Like just if we're talking Fonzie leather jacket. Cool. Like I sound sort of out of touch. And on the real like front lines of comedy are all these really young, exciting, hip people Um who are really funny and they're not trading in on old cliches that like my uncle might say at a party. So it's just kind of like 
it's like I actually because I'm so cool. I don't think that's funny because I'm like, oh, I've heard this from regular people at a party who are like 70. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't you want to at least look cool? I mean, I, I don't get it. So but I think if you're not around like anyone you that's different than you anymore, you think that the voices of dissent actually can't take a joke. And what they're saying is we've been the joke for so long. It's just not funny. Come at us if you want. But it's going to take so much to, to say something we haven't heard. And then allies are like, I mean, I guess. And then people who are like, I love edgy stuff. Let's let's keep making fun of trans people in a way that's even inclusive. They, there's no way they find this funny because it's not inclusive. It's just stupid. It's just like not funny. So I'm going to break down a little bit what could have been better about the Golden Globes monologue. Um, but before I do that. Corporate whore, corporate sponsorship. This week's episode is sponsored by Grove. Now, speaking of edgy comedy, you know, you got to be careful or someone's going to come down to the club and wash my mouth out with soap someday. But you know what? If someone came down to the comedy club and washed my mouth out with soap, if it was a cleaning product from Grove, I'd be like, that's okay, because there ain't any chemicals in there. That I don't think I could. Well, I'm not. Listen, this company is like, can you not advocate putting our things in your mouth? Because this is let me just tell you where I'm coming from. Here's the deal. What is what is the Grove Collaborative? It's an online marketplace that delivers all natural home, beauty and personal care products directly to your door. Their aim is to make living a healthy lifestyle easy and accessible for you and your family. Now, this is what I love about Grove. I've I've had them delivered a few times. When you do your big, you know, shop, I don't know however many times a year. I have a smaller place and I'm not home a lot. But for me, it's like twice a year. I get like all the cleaning supplies. And to be honest, it can be annoying to like drag them up. You know, you're, you're lifting. and you're, But to have it delivered, you open the box. Everything's there. It's perfect. I love it. Every product that Grove sells is guaranteed to be healthy, effective, um, eco-friendly. I say eco, some say echo, and affordable. You can shop with confidence knowing that everything you buy from Grove is good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. They want to make it as easy as possible for you to switch to the natural products that you want to use. And some people, I mean, you guys might live in areas that they don't really sell these products. So they carry the brands you know and love like Mrs. Myers, Seventh Generation, Method, and Burt's Bees. And they have their best-selling Grove-made products like seedling tree-free paper towels, their Grove detergent dispenser that cuts plastic waste by 80%, and 100% recycled plastic trash bags all in one place at Grove.co. I've got myself some of those 100% recycled plastic trash bags, and I feel like a better person for it. With your first Grove order, and I got all the Mrs. Myers products. Please, honey, you can't even with me. With your first Grove order, they're going to set you up with a 60-day VIP trial, which includes customizable refill orders so that you never run out of the products you love. By default, your second shipment will be queued up to come one month later, but they are going to remind you twice before the refill is due to ship. So you can delay, edit, cancel anytime. Here's the deal. For a limited time, when my listeners go to grove.co, not com, you animals, co, Grove.co slash fun. You're going to get a five free, free five-piece cleaning set 
from Mrs. Meyer and Grove. That is a $30 value. Guys, I did this. It was the best thing that ever happened. It was like Christmas all over again. Go to grove.co slash fun to get this exclusive cleaning offer. Grove.co slash fun. And here's the deal. These are all-purpose cleaners, and they're not the ones your mom used to use that are full of harmful chemicals that have been linked from, you know, respiratory issues to cancer. You don't need toxins to have a clean home, not with Grove Collaborative. Living healthy, more, you know, it's not just eating. Think about all the chemicals you touch and smell every day, the cloths you use to wash your face. It may sound daunting, but go to go to Grove.co and check out everything in the Grove Collaborative. 70% of people say they want to use natural products, but only 2% do. Well, you know, the stuff they sell at the store is only from the biggest companies. It may not be the ones that are best for you. So this is why Grove.co is amazing. You can get everything that your, you know, store does not have and delivered right to you. So no, no heavy lifting. Let them do it. Let them do it for you. A limited time. Again, my listeners, Grove.co slash fun. Get your free five-piece cleaning set from Mrs. Meyer and Grove. That's a $30 value. Grove.co slash fun. Okay. So I got everyone on Twitter coming after me. You're in the establishment. I mean, it's just like, guys, life gets better when you stop making it so black and white, when you stop judging people and screaming at them. Let me just take you through the Ricky Gervais thing. The beer will always bother me, the, his little beer that he holds, because he's, I think the day my heart broke was the day I realized, oh, David Brent's not a character. Oh, he's David Brent. You know, like, so often you want someone to see, you see on TV, like, I hope they're just like their character. He's like the one guy that you're like, I hope he's nothing like that character. <laughs> and he comes out with his beer, like, all cheeky, hee hee. And it's like, dude, it's a beer you know, like, it's not that edgy. The Golden Globes is notorious as being, like, the drunken, boozy award show. It's not the Oscars. I mean, I had heard that, like, at the Globes, there's very little food available, and it's just the the free, you know, sparkly shits pouring all night. And it's always been, you know, for it's like the, the groovy, kind of more fucked up people. <laughs> and like... You know, your Joaquin Phoenix gave his drunken speech, which looked a little odd now, but go back in time and watch like old Golden Globes. Everyone is so fucked to high heaven. And so it's not that edgy to like hold a beer. It just like it's awkward at the beginning because everything in his, it's like I can't prove this, but it's just everything in his being, everything in his essence is pointing to the beer like a giant orange arrow. And, and it's like, yeah, we see the beer, honey. It's not that edgy. People are, like, fucked up in the audience, you know. And it's so, you know, if you're around comedy as much as me, open mics, comedians, there's drinks everywhere. A lot of shows before you become a professional, they pay you in drinks. A lot of my opening acts, these young men, they're nervous. They're trying to be edgy. They may have drinking problems. They're all on stage holding a beer. It looks like a crutch and if someone's purposely bringing it on stage like this is edgy it's even worse ron white is the only one that gets away with it with his whiskey that's just ron white he's the guy that's gonna bring a glass 
from inside the house and put it in the cup holder in his car. <laughs> you just know that's Ron White. It's completely authentic. It's a little bit of a gimmick, but it's it's his show, which is like, hey, guys, we're just bullshit and having some drinks and some cigars. Hey, I'm living on the high life. This is me, Ron White. I, I appreciate it. But the beer, it just, the Ricky Gervais beer is not my thing. So now some of his jokes were pretty funny. Now, now look. Was Jeffrey Epstein a monster? Yes. Did some celebrities fly in his private jet? Yep. Fuck yeah. Some people truly did not know this history of him. Okay, I'm not defending. Harvey Weinstein, did some people, was it sort of this known secret? I mean, I'm not in that world, so no, but were people actively covering him up? Yes. But the real victims here are the dozens and dozens of women he assaulted and they bravely came forward and and started this whole thing. So when you're yelling at the audience that they all covered for Harvey Weinstein, you're, you're leaving out, you think you're being edgy and calling people on their bullshit. But in, in, none, in, no, in no breath am I hearing your support of the women. You know, even if there was a joke, I mean, bad pitch, that's like, Look at all the women here tonight. Like the dresses are a little more low cut. The, sh- the skirts are shorter because they all feel safer without Harvey Weinstein in the room. I mean, I'm kidding. But like if you want to go edgy, it's like in support of the women. Like, hey, guys, I know you all played firefighters in your movies and you're all tough and you got a nutritionist and a trainer. But the real brave people are the 105 pound women in the room who fucking all got Harvey Weinstein. out. You know, like a funny version of that. But he's just yelling at everyone like, you were friends with him, not me. And it's like, not everyone in the room was. I don't even know if anyone in the room was some of his enablers. But he can talk about in general the culture that enables people, which he is part of, which, you know, I guess I could say I'm a part of, too. So the way to do that is to be like, we're all hypocrites. Like he could do this long, cheeky speech that's like, Oh, here you all are. You're going to get up and you're going to make your environmental speeches, even though like, you know, your phone was made in a sweatshop or even though you took a private jet to do press for the movie that you're in and that releases that much CO2 into the atmosphere. And you're all going to come up here, but he's got to include himself. And then I'm going to think I'm edgy for pointing it out. And then, But like make jokes where you're including yourself. So like I was doing jokes the other night right before I got on stage in Sacramento. I was looking on Twitter and it said World War Three is trending. And I was like, Literally, I just assumed it was the name of a movie. And then I was like, well, you never know these days. So I clicked on it and I was like, oh, fuck, we just assassinated, you know, the second guy down in Iran. And, you know, I was reading about it. And just from a neutral, like not political, not my opinion standpoint, the uh, common thing that I was learning was that even though he, you know, sponsored a regime of terror and like we, we've been wanting to get rid of him. The way to do it is is a little different than than how we did it. Um, we poked a bear. You know, we 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 might create more issues. And you know, I don't know what what the poking of the bear would look like. Right? I don't know what other countries are going to get involved. I don't know if we're going to start nuking. Like I didn't know. Right? So I was just like, oh fuck. So I got on stage and I said to the audience, I know you guys have been told to keep your phones off. So when you leave tonight. You're going to see trending World War Three, And I'm like, to be honest, my phone's off. I'm up here for an hour. So I don't know if like we're going to, you know, I was making jokes about what's going on. And then I made a joke about, and I, I mentioned Australia's burning. And I was like, it's not good. I go, I go, we're all 
and the audience got a little I, I kind of went at them. I was like, and and you guys are like, well, we bought tickets to a show to laugh. And the audience got a little tight assed. And I was like, oh, I'm the one who's bad. There'd be no show for you to laugh at if it wasn't me. I do this for a living. I'm not helping anybody. I'm not a doctor or a nurse. And and I go, and you guys may argue, Jan, but we all really need to laugh in times like this. And I go, we've done enough laughing. That's why Australia's on, on fire. We we've we got it. We laughed. We laughed. You can make yourselves laugh at home. No, no one should be doing this. This should not be a job in this day and age. No one should be here. We're all terrible people. The room dying laughing. Because now... And it's even funnier when I make fun of myself because my points are really good in that way. Like, it, 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 my points are really good in that way in the sense that I can speak for myself because I know I'm not really helping anybody um, in a physical way in my day-to-day life. I don't know who the audience is. They might be trauma ER nurses uh, constantly you know, on the other end of the the gun violence issue or what, you know, who knows? I'm not going to yell at the audience for coming to laugh. I'm going to make it like in general, you know, and it's it's also like a loving celebratory envelope. I'm putting us all in this thing where it's like we're acknowledging that for an hour we're tuning out the world. And what it feels like lately is that we shouldn't even be doing that. That's how fucked up it all is. And we never were meant to live with this level of anxiety, constant anxiety, and just where the world is right now, you know. And that's all the subtext I think that we inherently understand together. So one of the greatest things about live comedy is there's an inherent subtext to everything that everyone in the room sort of understands. And I can't explain it because it's subconscious and it's subtext. It's sub, 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 sub. And when you take that away, when you go at the audience in a way that isn't the way my sister went at me with love and said, you know, you never affected anyone in your life, and it isn't making yourself part of it, then why would they listen to you? Then it has to be really funny if you're just going to attack the audience, right? And so, but the thing is, like, I, I looked at one of the, um, you know, I just said, I just thought his jokes were lazy. And, you know, one of his jokes was, um, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, Apple, Amazon, Disney, if ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? Well, that's that's like the setup to a joke. If ISIS started a streaming service, that's the setup. You'd call your agent. That's like the pre-punchline punchline. Then you got to punch, you know. So I don't know if if there you go. That's where we all. That's where the heart of the joke is, right? Is that even if ISIS did start a streaming service, when you're in show business, like so, I've worked for Disney because I've pitched to ABC, and who am I pitching? Um, some of the lower level executives that have the power to green light a script deal, but they don't have the power to green light if your sitcom gets made into a pilot where you film it. Then there's the next level above that, that the, Bob Igar used to be the head of Disney, and he oversees all the pilots that get made at ABC. And it's like levels and levels and levels. And the level I get into, you just uh, need to show your ID at the gate. You're on a list. They let you in. You know, it's like I don't see any of the dirty, dark money, fucked up, covering up for perverts. Like, I don't see any of that. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist. I'm in a room with three ladies who are all in their pleather pants and blouses. And I'm like, what if this girl got dumped and then she wrote a book? They're like, we love that idea. That's all that's happening. And the way I can distance myself from the evils is I go, well, I'm just dealing with this. You know what I mean? Like that's, 
And I don't even actually feel like I need to distance myself. But but that's sort of what the joke is. It's like everyone in the room who's working for these big corporations, they don't part of the evil back dealings that are the top, 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 top of the, you know. And so that would be the justification is, oh, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? Hello. Now, I know ISIS is bad, but I really love Judy. She's the secretary to ISIS and she's not really bad. And then, you know, but the, it's it's like the, the head of ISIS is really bad, but their digital streaming service run by a really nice guy. They're trying to go a different way. Like that's what do you know what I mean? That's what's funny. Is like, oh, they're trying to, they're rebranding. ISIS is rebranding. And you go on a rant like that. And you talk about that. You don't just stop with, if ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? I, If I were hosting, I'd be like, guys, we need a stronger joke than that. That's not going to get a laugh. And people, it's a good point. It's like, it's a good point, but he's also working for them. So he's got to include himself in it, you know, or else... This cultish behavior starts happening online where people are like, he's perfect. He's calling out the man. Well, so what that he works for these companies, too? It's it's different when he does it, and it's not. And that's I, – I have no problem with anyone working for anything. I, I'm just saying if you're going to be screaming at people in the audience, there's a way to do it and be accurate and be funny. So then I guess this is the punchline to it all. If you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a platform to make a political speech. That was it. See, these are sentences. These aren't jokes. And so what he doesn't realize is telling people not to be political is, in fact, political. It's telling people to shut up. You know what I mean? And then when you do that, you make everyone look like an asshole. So maybe there's like um, some white straight male who in his real life kicks puppies and, you know, um, burns rubber for no reason and uh, skins emus. But he gets up on stage every year and he's like, guys, we got to be good to each other. And you're like, well, that's a hypocrite. But when you say if you do win, don't make a political speech, well, you're not taking into account that trans people, black people, women, these are people that didn't historically win um, awards in big ways, Golden Globe, Oscar, Emmy. We're just starting now to get better about that. And so if those people who've been silenced for so long want to get up and say, this was really powerful to make this movie about blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, look at look at everyone like black directors can make a blockbuster film. You know, the now you're telling people, see, this is the, the problem is once people start having a voice then you start telling everybody that anyone who makes a political statement is a, is a bad person. Well, then now the people that never had a voice, they never get a chance to make their political speeches like it's not responsible. And again, like maybe I'm overthinking it, but I just think that he could have done a brilliant monologue about hypocrisy that was full of irony. And people would love him for it. And you would actually get your point across more. Again, you've got to make people laugh before you make them angry. And sometimes you make them laugh and angry at the same time. Um, But, you know, I was thinking about George Carlin. And a lot of people uh, you know, what I love about George Carlin is when a lot of his material um, he might do a nine-minute bit, let's say. And in that nine-minute bit, the first two minutes may not be heavy on jokes because he's setting up his opinion and he's giving it. But George Carlin always made sure to take gr- such great care that when he gave his opinion, it was full of wordplay and wordsmithery and rhythm. He really worked on it. And then later in the bit, it would go to an absurd level where there's tons of silly jokes. And so I want to I want to remind us... Slippery anxiety, which is like basically... 
So this is... Okay. I want to talk about uh, George Carlin. This is his famous pro-life joke. Now, this is nine minutes. I'm not going to play all nine. But I'm going to show you. This is him on the more ranty side giving his opinion. But you can feel the artistry in what he's saying, as opposed to Ricky Gervais just yelling, if ISIS had a streaming service, you would join it. Why why is it that most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place? And you see there, he's not, I bet some people in that audience are anti-abortion. Maybe even some of the people laughing. But he doesn't go, you people in the audience that are anti-abortion. He's taking you into his world. And we're talking about the other. That's how comedy works, is you act like this other is out there. Speak so we can all laugh. Now, if you're hosting an award show, um, it's kind of hard to act like the other, the Hollywood elite, is out there because they're not. They're in the room. So then you have to ask yourself, why is my target the people in the room? Who am I trying to appeal to? The people outside of the room? Okay. Well, do it responsibly or else you're going to get a bunch of binary thinking fucking you know, alt-right acting motherfuckers screaming at everyone in your name while you're off not even realizing the chaos you've sowed. So we're going to get to that later in a Stuart Lee clip, but here we go. Boy, these conservatives are really something, aren't they? They're all in favor of the unborn. They will do anything for the unborn. But once you're born, you're on your own. Pro-life conservatives are obsessed with a fetus from conception to nine months. After that, they don't want to know about you. They don't want to hear from you. No nothing. No neonatal care, no daycare, no Head Start, no school lunch, no food stamps, no welfare, no nothing. If you're pre-born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. Do you hear that poetry? Is that what Gervais did? No. Conservatives don't give a shit about you until you reach military age. Then they think you are just fine, just what they've been looking for. Conservatives want live babies so they can raise them to be dead soldiers. Pro-life. Pro-life. These people aren't pro-life. They're killing doctors. What kind of pro-life is that? What, they'll do anything they can to save a fetus, but if it grows up to be a doctor, they just might have to kill it? They're not pro-life. You know what they are? They're anti-woman. Simple as it gets. Anti-woman. They don't like them. They don't like women. They believe a woman's primary role is to function as a broodmare for the state. Pro-life. You don't see many of these white anti-abortion women volunteering to have any black fetuses transplanted into their uteruses, do you? No, you don't see them adopting a whole lot of crack babies, do you? No, that might be something Christ would do. And you won't see, you won't see a lot of these pro-life people dousing themselves in kerosene and lighting themselves on fire. You know, morally committed religious people in South Vietnam knew how to stage a goddamn demonstration, didn't they? Do you see how this is still pretty fucking edgy? He gets to say some pretty crazy shit, but it's all for the right reasons. Protest. Light yourself on fire! Come on, you moral crusaders, let's see a little smoke to match that fire in your belly. Here's another question I have. How come when it's us, it's an abortion, and when it's a chicken, it's an omelet? Okay, and then he goes into like seven minutes of like pretty absurd humor, and it's really funny. But, you know, he took those two minutes to set up in the funniest way he could his very serious opinion about this stuff. And even in the moments when he wasn't saying punchlines, it was head start, school start. But you know what I mean? There was a rhythm. That takes so much fucking work. And to get that many people screaming 
they're not going to keep screaming just because you're George Carlin. It's because he's he's doing the work. Um, one of one a really great comic. Um, he's British. Everyone's obsessed with him. There, Stuart Lee, very storytellery. Um, but he does a whole bit on political correctness. And it's he does this great bit that I'm going to play right now. That's he's talking about the problem with when you say stuff that isn't politically correct in a small room, and then it goes out there to the idiots watching how you're going to get them all riled up. And so that's, again, I think he's kind of getting at we have a responsibility to this. Um, But he does this whole bit about political correctness and his grandmother says, you can't do this anymore. And it gets to this absurd level (laughs) that's just like, it's, it's all on the side of like, it's not a big deal to be a little bit politically correct. And like things are changing for the better. Think of like it health and safety wise. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I just wanted to play this part because it's kind of what I was getting at with having responsibility about the Muslims, right? Not for fear of religious reprisals, right? When's that ever hurt anyone? But... (laughs) But because of a slightly more slippery anxiety, which is, like, basically, when you do, like, stand-up in a small room, it's like, we're all friends, hooray, and we can make a joke, but you don't really know... You don't really know how a joke's received, and it could be that it's laughed at enthusiastically in a way that you don't understand, and particularly out there, and if you don't know who's watching in television, I mean, if it's on telly on Paramount, probably someone horrible, an idiot. Uh, it's kind of person who's awake at five in the morning, who knows what? Could be anyone laughing at this. We don't know. Awful people. And, um, so... Um... So you don't know. The problem, the problem is, 84% of people, apparently, of the public, think that political correctness has gone mad. Now, um, I don't know if it has. People still get killed, don't they, for being the wrong colour or the wrong sexuality or whatever. And what is political correctness? It's, a, it's an often clumsy negotiation towards a kind of formally inclusive language. And there's, there's all sorts of problems with it, but it's better than what we had before. But 84% of people think political correctness has gone mad. And you don't want one of those people coming up to you after the gig and going, well done, mate. Uh, Well done, actually, for having a go at the fucking Muslims. (laughs) Well done, mate. You know, you can't do anything in this country anymore, mate. It's political correctness gone mad. You know, you can't even write racial abuse in excrement on someone's car. (laughs) You get the point. Okay. So that's my rant on political correctness. Oh, boy. Uh, We only have a few minutes here, and of course, I didn't get to half the stuff I talked about. You know, we've always got next week, don't we? I'm not trying to say I'm the perfect comic, but I'm doing my best. Um, I had a really great weekend at the Sacramento Punchline, and I don't say this out loud a lot because, again, once you say words, they get into other people's hands, and they're dangerous. But I try to uh, not... uh, When you're performing in a club they will book an open opening act that does about 25 minutes and a host that does about 10 and if you leave it up to the club they'll usually just book two straight white guys and i have nothing against straight white guys some of my best friends are straight white guys uh, my family is straight white guys but um it doesn't always jibe um with my audience it doesn't always jibe with me if it is in fact that type of kind of comedy that's about like women suck and I'm watching porn and I'm jerking off and I'm smoking pot. That's just like a lot of guys. That's their point of view. I like to have different points of view and I like my audience to be exposed to different things. So um, this weekend in Sacramento, and I didn't pick the comics personally, um, but um, 
Uh, we had Becky and Ron, who are my opening acts. Becky's a black woman. Ron's a white gay guy. And nobody died. There was, and a woman headlined. And it made me really happy because um, the audience loved both of them. They were both fucking great. And I had good selling crowds, and that made me optimistic for the new year. Um, and the late show Saturday, there was a bachelor party. There were dudes at a comedy show to see a woman headliner. I literally almost cried on stage. It's happened before, but I can't explain to you guys that I didn't start in a time when this stuff happened. And I was told by club owners, you know, women just don't draw audiences. And I don't understand how that's true because women make all the plans, you know. But, um, and even when I tried to engage them with it and just told them, like, this is so great for me that that the, I they kind of just had this attitude of, like, I don't even know what you're saying. And it wasn't gay guys. It was straight guys. Like, uh, yeah, great. Like, cool. I'm glad you're psyched about it. But it's normal to us. I, I, I can't get over that it's still normal, that it's, like, so normal to people now. Like, I don't have that first five minutes anymore where they're like, oh, here comes a woman. I don't. It doesn't exist. Things are getting bad. And I'm fucking funny. Not for a woman, not for a liberal. I'm fucking straight up funny. Funnier than a lot of the dudes out there. I don't know what's happening where I'm not getting my third special, but I've never been funnier. And I'm sorry if I sound like I'm bragging. I just work so hard at this. And when I get on stage to get to be able to be like I've never been better and to have a joy about it and to love it so much that I'm making myself happy, which makes other people happy, is so great. When when you go up in front of an audience that has a prejudice and they're like, oh, women aren't funny, you feel it in your bones and it makes you less, you have to push through so much harder. It's already hard enough to be up there as a stand-up. You have to push through this extra love and something just don't have the energy. And when that level is removed, it makes me it makes things easier for me and it makes me on the same playing field that straight white guys have been on. And so when people talk about political correctness making things worse, it's making things better for me, at least for black women, for gay men on stage. It's making it better. And it's not because everyone's just going and laughing to be politically correct. We're not talking about being black or women or gay. I mean, sometimes a little bit, but a lot of times it's in like a rowdy, cheeky way. And um, it's not an NPR lecture. Like, in other words, when we include more, we learn more. And when we're all in on everything, it's funnier. It's better. It, and when people are comfortable, you're going to get a good show out of them. And then you're going to be comfortable. And when it's only for some people and then the others get on stage, it's, it's you can feel it even in how I just said that, right? It's a lot. And so people who are complaining it's getting worse, all I see is comedies getting funnier, like the jokes are getting less stale and hacky in the clubs, uh, the audiences are getting way better, and I don't know, it's getting better. And, and anyone who doesn't see it doesn't want to see it. Um, and I feel bad for them because if they could just turn around and see how much better it's getting now that we're not so blindly excluding people um, and purposely you know it's a lot better it's not perfect but it's a lot better um there's so much more joy in these rooms and and i can say that from 22 years of being in them so that's my rant support live comedy it is it is getting better than ever and rest in peace elizabeth wurzel who wrote prozac nation um often known as a very problematic person in real life some people called her a narcissist some people didn't like her book because ultimately 
Um, it was a little bit against going on medication, but she was a Gen X woman and one of the first women um, to write a memoir about herself and, you know, about how she felt and how she thought without having had, in quotes, accomplished something. It wasn't she was like the head of state who wrote a memoir. It was just a what men had been doing forever, like a Jack Kerouac type, like a female-driven memoir. And so thank you. Um, there was a female memoir boom after that and continues as though it's normal to this day. I've written two of them. So thank you, Elizabeth, for setting the table. She is a Gen Xer. Um, you can thank her, uh, anyone out there who's younger and wants to write a first-person memoir uh, that's not about something they've accomplished, but about who they are. So um, go to iTunes, give it five stars. Uh, if you want to be a dick, you can give it a bad review and give it one star. That's on your karma, not mine. And uh, follow along at Jen Kirkman Podcast on Instagram. And track me down on um, jenkirkman.com. Click Kirkmail. Join that newsletter. Next week, we will get to these listener emails. We'll do everything. Uh, send me an email, iseemfun at gmail.com if you like. And until next week, have fun.